You're listening to teaching from the Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. Let's go ahead and turn to 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, or maybe you want to bring it up on your Bible app, version or Bible Gateway. Uh, we'll, have, we'll show the verses up on screen in a second, but let me give you a little context to what's going on in 1 Kings chapter 19. If, if we remember, Elijah was one of the greatest Old Testament prophets of all time, and he did many miracles. He pointed people back to God. Uh, eventually, he ends up having a showdown with a king named Ahab and his false prophets. And basically, they come up on this mountain and they have this sacrifice there and you're supposed to call on your gods to bring down fire. Well, King Ahab and his false prophets, the fire didn't come down. And so it's Elijah's turn and he prays. And not only does he pray, he pours water on the sacrifice to leave no doubt that he worships the true living God. And he prays and fire comes down, consumes the sacrifice, consumes the wood, consumes everything, water, dust, you name it. And it's like this mountaintop experience. Everyone knows that Elijah is preaching. Elijah is pointing everyone to the true living God. Then after that, King Ahab's evil wife, Jezebel, hears about this. And she says, I want to kill that Elijah guy. I want to kill him. And you know what Elijah does? He takes off running. He's discouraged. He's afraid. He travels about 300 miles. He's probably a little depressed. And then he has this experience with God on Mount Sinai. There's wind and the wind so powerful, it breaks open the mountain. Yet God wasn't in the wind. There's an earthquake. It shakes the mountain. Yet God wasn't in the earthquake. There's fire that burns. Yet God wasn't in the fire. And there's a whisper, a little voice. It's God's voice. And I'm going to paraphrase here. But God says, Elijah, what are you doing? What, what, what's going on in your life? And Elijah says, well, God, you know, I've been serving you and I've been doing all these good things and your people are a mess. They're an absolute mess. And they killed all the prophets and I'm the only one left. And this morning we get God's response. It says, then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came. Travel to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive there, what? Anoint Hazel to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Namishi, to be king of Israel. And then what? Anoint Elisha, son of Shabbat, from the town of Abel Mahalah to replace you as my prophet. So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing the field. There were how many teams? Twelve teams of oxen in the field. And Elisha was plowing with the twelfth team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak, his jacket, over his shoulders and then walked away. Uh, Elisha left the oxen standing there. 
and ran after Elijah and said to him, First, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye. Then I'll go with you. And Elijah replied, Go on back, but think about what I have done to you. So Elisha returned his oxen and slaughtered them. What did he use the wood for? He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. And he went with Elijah as his assistant. Basically, God said, hey, Elijah, go back to doing what prophets do. Prophets anoint people. I love this set of instructions. Three times Elijah is told to anoint someone, two kings and a prophet. Mark Batterson says, suggests that we are called to anoint the people that God has put in our path. The word anoint means to choose a, a successor. It's investing into someone. It's pouring your life into someone. It's taking time to listen to them, to encourage them. It's not just limited to one person. You may have several people in your life that you are investing in. Before I guess, we've been in a series called All In. It's a year-long series, and we're talking about walking with God. We're talking about what it means to be a disciple. And, and last week, we talked about filling our what? Our bucket. What we fill our bucket up with is what we become. If we fill our bucket up with love, we become? If we fill our bucket up with hate, we become bitter. If we fill our bucket up with gossip, we become a gossiper. If we fill our bucket up with patience, we become patient. If we fill our bucket up with prayer, we become a prayer warrior. I want you to, if you have your journals with you, are all in journals. I, I want you to ponder these questions. I want you to write down maybe one of these questions. They're, they're questions that I've been pondering on. Whose bucket, whose bucket are you filling? Whose bucket are you filling? Who are you anointing? Who are you throwing your coat around? Who are you taking your coat off and saying, Young man, I believe in you. I believe that God has great things for you. I believe that God's going to do amazing things, that he is an amazing God and he's going to use you. That's what anointing is. It's whose life are you intentionally investing in? When we talk about going and making disciples, the Great Commission, you, you can't make disciples without relationships. You, you have to invest into people's life. And here's another question I want you to ponder. Am I consuming or am I contributing? Am I consuming or am I contributing? You know what? We can wake up and we can study God's word and we can pray and we can fast and we can memorize and we can, we can do all of these things. We can come on Sunday morning to Sunday school and man, we can just soak it in and fill our bucket up. We can come here at 10 a.m. and we can, again, add some worship and prayer and all these things to our bucket. We can come on Sunday night and we can come to life group and, and we can do all of these things and we can consume and consume and consume. But God doesn't just want us to consume. He, he also wants us to contribute. He wants us to contribute to people's life. I, I, I love hearing Charity speak this morning. 
I, I know that she feasts on God's word. I know she's a prayer warrior. And I know that she and her staff have poured their lives into hundreds and probably even thousands of people at this point in time. We have a Mother's Day Out program, Tuesdays and Thursdays, 9 to 2. We have children from across the city that come, and, and they give their, uh, basically, they get to come and they get to learn more about Christ through uh, our lessons. Well, we have four teachers, and you know what they do? They pour their lives into their students, and not only into their students, but into their families. They're getting to know parents, and they're getting to know uncles and aunts and grandmas and grandpas. They're they're pouring their life into other people. I, I, I just love this. They're looking for opportunities to love. Now, here's the question I have for you. Who is in your everyday life that listens to you? Who listens to you? Is it a roommate? Is it a friend? Is it a classmaker? Is it a coworker? If you're a school teacher, you've got a whole class full of little buckets there that's just waiting to be filled up. Parents, grandparents, uncles and aunts, you've got children in your life that are just little buckets, and you get an opportunity to fill them up. Now, with that comes a great responsibility, because what we put in our bucket is probably what we're going to pour out. Now, that's not hitting people over the head with the Bible. But what it is, is it's building relationships. It's eating lunch together. It's going to the recital. It's going to the basketball game. It's playing card games. It's sending a text just checking on them. Just making sure they're okay. It's looking for opportunities to love. Now, let me flip the coin on you. You have Elijah who's going around looking for who he can anoint. But then you have Elisha. And I love his part of the story as well. Uh, Elisha was born and raised in the region of Israel named, uh, named Abel Mahala. The, the English translation of the Hebrew word means meadow of the dancing. And that must have been quite the place, right? Meadow of the dancing. It was the breadbasket of the Jordan River Valley. And, and Elisha's family ran a productive and profitable farming operation. Most family farms, they had one pair of oxen, but his family had 12 pair of oxen, and they had the hands to be able to, to run this. And so this tells us that Elisha had great wealth, and he was part of a very successful family business, and he would probably would have inherited it. Yet he does something curious, and we're going to zero through in that in a second, but he ends up burning his plowing equipment. And so here Elisha is, he's on his John Deere two oxen tractor. Day after day, he's plowing the field. And as he's plowing the field, you know what he's seeing? He's seeing the back end of, a, of the oxen, day in, day out. He gets on that tractor, and he's plowing and plowing and plowing. Working on the, on the farm. And he could have lived his entire life on the farm. It was pretty safe. It was a comfortable life. He could have kept on plowing the fields. But instead, he accepted an invitation to do something greater. He learned from Elijah for about six years. Probably 
saw some of the 14 miracles that Elijah did. He soaked up everything that Elijah poured into him. Now, if Elisha didn't accept the invitation, he would have missed out on 60 years of ministry and twice the amount of miracles. 28 miracles is how many Elisha had done. Here's something that I noticed in the text. God didn't look at Elisha's resume. He didn't just see a, a farmer who knows about oxen and a plow. No, God didn't check to see if Elijah was able to do the job. He checked to see if he was available. Now, let me get a little devotional on you. Some of you right now, you want someone to anoint you. You want someone to pour their life into you. And God wants to change your life. But your biggest obstacle is not your ability. It's your what? Oh. Are you available for God to anoint you? Are you available for others to pour their life into you? Some of you right now, you're, you're in a rut. You're in, a, in spiritual survivor mode. You've lost your passion, your hope, your energy. All you do is you see the backside of the oxen. And you know what comes from the backside of the oxen, right? You see oxen dung. That's all you see. Over and over and over. That, that's where you're at. You kind of feel like you're in this spiritual rut. You, you, you've lost your passion, your energy. You're tired of the doctor's visits. You're tired of your coworkers. You're tired of your job. You're tired of your friends, your neighbors, your family, everyone. Your preacher drives you crazy. Everyone just gets on your last nerve. Some of you are there. Man, you, you hate Mondays. Sunday night, you're already getting nervous because you, you have anxiety because you're thinking about Monday. Satan loves for us to be in ruts and to be distracted. Week one, we talked about distraction. We want to walk with God, but Satan's going to do everything he can, everything that he can to keep us from doing that. He's going to put people in our life that will try to steal our joy. He will distract us and trying to keep our eyes off of Jesus. Hebrews 12 talks about fixing our eyes on Christ. But we have to realize that God has called us to something greater, to overcome the distractions, to keep our eyes focused on him. Elisha accepts the invitation, and not only does he accept it, but he burns the plowing equipment. Now, why did he do this? It seems a little dramatic. Now, picture this. You owned a, a coffee business. You got a coffee store. You got all this coffee there. And man, everyone comes from San Antonio. I mean, it's a well-known place and everyone hangs out there. And, and, and then you said, you know, I feel like God's leading me a, a different direction. And, you just, I mean, and what we'd normally do is we would sell the coffee and we'd sell the building. We'd sell everything inside. And then you'd give half the money to Castle Hills and you'd take your preacher out for supper and, and you'd take him to Ruth Chris. But I, I would be OK with pizza. But, but you would do all of these great things. But Elisha, that's not what he does. He takes the coffee and he goes down and gives it to the homeless. And then the building and the stools and the countertops and all of that. He burns the whole building down. And we think, man, what a waste. Why would he do this? I mean, he kills the oxen, he feeds the town, and then he burns the plow. 
It's puzzling. Could it be that it's not about the farming equipment? It's about commitment. It's about surrender. It's about a statement of faith. His old life is gone. He's starting a new life. He's all in. He's pushed all of his chips to the center of the table and says, I'm fully committed. No turning back. In the last week, we talked about how Jesus challenged a rich young ruler to burn his plow, to, to give away all of his wealth. And this rich young man, he wasn't ready to do that. He walked away sad. Well, we also talked about Zacchaeus, though, who had this encounter with Christ, who saw him climbed up the sycamore tree, and, and Jesus talks with him. And, and after having this encounter with Jesus, he makes a statement of faith. He gives half of his wealth away. He pays back those that he cheated four times the amount. He makes a statement of faith. Abraham takes his dear son and places him on an altar, ready to kill him. He makes a statement of faith. Noah built a boat, even though they didn't have any rain, didn't make any sense. But he says, God, I trust you. He's making a statement of faith in the book of Acts. There were some people who practiced sorcery. And they said, you know what? After we follow Christ, we probably shouldn't have these sorcery books around. And so instead of selling them, which would have been about $3.7 million, they burned them. They made a statement of faith. And they said, you know what? We want everyone to know that we follow Jesus Christ. When we are baptized, we're making a statement of faith. We're saying that we're all in on following Christ. The old life is gone. The one that's that's focused on myself is gone. I want a new life. I want to focus only on Christ. Many of you in this room, you already have the mantle. You already have the coat. You already have the power of Christ. You've accepted Christ. And God's spirit is upon you. But what I'm asking you and what I'm challenging you with is God's spirit just can't be kept to us. We have to spread it. We have to invest in other people. See, burning the plow, though, doesn't just mean that you quit your job and move to some remote place in Africa. Elisha's plow was something good. A plow can be something that you simply need to change. What's an area in your life that you need to change? What's an area that you could grow closer to God in? Let me give you some examples. Some of you, you need to make a statement of faith. You need to accept Christ. You need to be baptized. Some of you, you need to let go of sin in your life. Bitterness or hate, gossip or anger, selfishness or jealousy or lust or addiction. Some of you need to let go of something that's holding you back. Some of you have shame. Some of you've made some bad decisions and you're holding on to that. Some of you worry. Some of you have an abortion in your past that's haunting you and it's just bringing you down. Some of you, it's a friendship. Some of you, it's a bad habit or a bad attitude. It's a past or current hurt or a, or a past relationship. Some of you need to let go. Some of you need to burn the plow of fear, of worry, of low self-esteem, of people-pleasing, of letting your schedule control you, of screen time over relationships, of being in a rut. What is God calling you that you need to throw into the pit? What's God saying, you know what? You've been holding on to this for too long. What do you need to release? And say, God, I want to be like Elisha. 
No turning back. I want to make that statement of faith. I want to walk closer to him. That's what it means to be all in. Amen?